Welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I'm Warren Coughlin, founder of this podcast and business coach to ethical entrepreneurs who want to build a business that matters. In short, I help you end chaos and gain control over your business so that you predictably and reliably achieve the profits, the lifestyle, and the impact you strive for through a team you can trust without the stress and frustration. When you experience this, you're more confidently able to make the world or just your corner of it a bit of a better place. At The Spotlight, we believe that every entrepreneur has a unique message that can positively impact the world and inspire others to do the same. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I've been I've been looking forward to speaking to today's guests from from innovative architecture to academia to teaching children about space and design to helping expecting in new moms and to support the use of housing design to improve health outcomes in vulnerable communities around the world. Karen Fromm seems to put her full self into everything she does. She's the founder of Rise Projects, an architecture and design firm out of New York. Karen, welcome and thanks so much for joining us on the Spotlight. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So, Karen, I want to get into lots of stuff about Rise and its evolution and all that. But just because I imagine my quick intro may have caused someone to say, huh, on that last <laughs> bit, can you describe how architecture or housing design can actually improve health outcomes and a little bit about the organization that you're you're part of that does that? That may be just a good introduction to how you think about design. Absolutely. So we always consider sustainability when we're designing. And I am on the board of an organization called Archive Global. And their mission is to work on health outcomes in the built environment. And so it kind of marries health and building. And so an example of a project that they've done recently was to, excuse me, bring hand washing stations to places that don't have fresh running water, which you can imagine during the pandemic was an amazing gift to all these communities where they had just not basic sanitation, <clears throat> excuse me, things that we take for granted. So, Wow. And, and, and how else, like what other parts of housing design is it, is it a, is it about material usage or about the way things are laid out that produces health outcomes? Like I've seen things in just some of the research I've done for like where people who have to cook internally using charcoal, for instance, or, or coal or fire creates really horrible health, health outcomes. And so just changing the way cooking stations are done positively affects children's health and school performance and the rest of it. Absolutely. There's another example of something they've done. They call this project Mud to Mortar, and they've done it mostly in Bangladesh. And they found that uh, most people live in homes that don't have paved floors. And so they've gone in and used local labor to pave the floors. And that has incredibly reduced the number of diseases that they have and infant mortality and all kinds of things like that and made a huge impact on these communities. Wow. Isn't it amazing? Like just sometimes it's the small things that make such a massive impact. Yeah, it really is. It's sometimes you just think of one little thing and make that little difference and you can save lives doing that. And that's one of the amazing things about their mission. And do you get involved at a project level or as a board member, is it mostly, or is it more just from a governance perspective? Uh, it really is both. I'm the only architect on the board. So I'm really the person who has straddles both of those things. So I, I'm not involved in instigating the projects, but I am definitely have input on them. So that's got to make you feel pretty good. Yeah, no, it's great. It's great to feel like you're making a difference around the world, even sitting in your desk in New York City or wherever you are. 
Oh, yeah. I used to be on the board of something called Street Kids International. We provided entrepreneurial training for street youth and some of the impacts were crazy. It was really cool. Exactly. So that's awesome. So now let's let's talk a little bit about Rise. What's, you know, people know about architecture a little bit, but at least at a superficial level, but people don't just want a building created. They have a need or needs. So like, what's the biggest problem you solve for your customers or what are the deep purpose level problems or needs they want you to help them address? You know, we have a wide range of types of clients from residential to people who are building buildings to people installing retail stores in the city. Um, And so we face a lot of different types of challenges. Sometimes the challenges are simply where we're working. So we do a lot of work in a remote island off of Long Island in New York. And just getting the materials out there is an incredible challenge because there are no cars out there. Everything has to be barged there. It's really a unique environment. You can only build during very limited season. Other times we are building in the middle of Manhattan. I mean, maybe Times Square isn't as full as it once was, but, you know, we've done lots of projects there and just dealing with that kind of 24-7 is a crazy thing too. So there are all kinds of challenges that we deal with. And are you focused just in the New York area or do you take projects further afield? Uh, We definitely take projects further afield. We're working on a home in Pennsylvania. We are working on something in Boston. And we are starting to do some work down in the South Florida district. Nice. And so how did your background, not just academic background, but personal, like how how did that prepare you for what you do today? How did you kind of find your way into this? Um, I think there are two things that I would say about that. First, that my father always had his own business when I was growing up, and I always knew that I wanted to work for myself. I couldn't imagine working for someone else. So as an architect, you have to be an intern somewhere to learn the pragmatics of the profession. But as soon as I was done sort of putting in my time, so to speak, I started looking for jobs and was very lucky and fortunate and got a few projects that allowed me to go out on my own and slowly built a practice on my own. Um, And the other thing is that I just always like being creative. And I think, you know, one of the threads through my practice has always been trying to think outside the box, finding ways to use unusual, sustainable materials and that kind of thinking in our, our work. So. And so what, what makes Rise, in your view, like what makes it really special? And no, no false modesty here. You know, we, we kind of want to know, why do people love dealing with you and your business? Uh, two things. Look, we deliver a great product. You know, we have beautiful projects that really meet the customer's needs. And when I say that, you know, everybody says they're going to meet your needs. But I think we really sit there and we listen. We want to understand what our clients' needs are and work within the parameters, whether it's a budgetary requirement or a schedule requirement. We sometimes have people, we often work in our residential practice with growing families. So sometimes we'll have a family that needs to move in by the time a baby is born or some, you know, crazy parameters like that. So we really want to understand what is driving the project and what the client needs to get out of it. Obviously, we want to deliver something that looks great and is super functional and all of that as well. Right. And what, what's sort of your process of, well, actually two questions on that. First, what's the, you, you, you deal with both residential and large projects for people that were listening, if they're just a small business or a small business owner, you know, what, what's sort of the, I don't want to say lower end, but 
you know, as opposed to the large commercial enterprises, what's sort of the entry point for people you work with? You mean in terms of using an architect? Yeah. And, or, or for your business in particular, like if someone's listening to this and goes, wow, I like this philosophy that she has, but or gee, I'm, I'm just doing a house in Connecticut or something. Is that a hundred percent? We have a lot of families who are building kind of mid range houses and we feel like we can add value there. It's not just the high end. I mean, it's fun to have a client who has more or less an unlimited budget, but those don't come along all the time. Um, And we work with lots of people. And the truth is that having the challenge of keeping within a budget is something we like. I mean, we like working up against a challenge, you know, tell us to, to make it work within this budget and we'll find a creative way to use an inexpensive material or to make your space have a double value so that you can use a room in two different ways and, you know, so on. So, so we like that. Yeah. Constraints. It's one of those underappreciated elements, isn't it? Constraints actually foster more creativity. I a hundred percent agree. Yes. Now you you talk about three core ideas: beauty, sustainability, and fun. Can you can you talk a little bit about that philosophy and how it actually shows up in your work? I, I like those. I like that. That trio. yeah, a hundred percent. Look, obviously, when we do a project, we care about what it looks like. Our clients care about what it looks like. We think we deliver products that are beautiful and you know work for people, whether they're a brand, whether it's a home and so on. Um, Sustainability is just a core of the way we think about projects. So we think about how to save energy using fixtures that will not draw lots of energy, windows that are thermally rated and materials that are sustainable. They are from products that can be either recycled or that already are recycled and the kind of cradle to grave of all of those materials. But I think the most important thing is the fun aspect. You know, I'm lucky. I love what I do. And I only want people in my team who love what they do. And we try to have fun. And it doesn't mean that every day is fun. But we try to have fun as much as possible. and, and, And we do, you know. And we like working with our clients. We have great clients. And so it just, it makes it great to go to work every day. And you don't feel like it's a a grind. And what does that do to your um, productivity and creativity, like having a, having a culture that's oriented that way. Do you find it's easier to get things done quicker? That the creativity fosters more. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, look. Number one, if people are having fun, I think they're relaxed and their creative process and their creative juices flow in a way that maybe they don't if they're stressed out or they're anxious or, or even just kind of feel like they're dredging through something. So I think it opens up that kind of creative thinking. And, you know, we have a really diverse office. We are obviously female owned, but we are predominantly women in my office. Um, and we have a very diverse group of backgrounds and having all of that really adds to the mix and we welcome and that kind of collaboration having different voices. And how, how many are you? We're 10. Ah. So I want to put you on the spot a little bit on these, on these three values. I may, I may be wrong. So push back <laughs> on me, but I can imagine circumstances where there could be a tension between those ideas, right? Because of budgets or zoning restrictions or space limitations or client temperaments, you know, that it's hard to do beauty, sustainability, and fun. How, how do you kind of navigate that tension? And I can imagine like maybe not everybody cares about sustainability and, or they, you know, they're going to compromise beauty for budgets or those kinds of things. You don't have to tell everyone that you're using sustainable materials or that you are 
using something that is energy efficient, you can just do it. So, so if you feel like your client doesn't value that it's still possible to sneak it in. There's one thing I would say, um, but you're right. Some things that are sustainable or that are energy efficient can be more expensive, not always, but sometimes, and you have to find a way to balance that. Sometimes it's also looking at the bigger picture and thinking about the life cycle costs of things. So, you know, if you buy energy star appliances, the likelihood is that you are going to see a savings over the life of that appliance. So, um, pointing out things like that can sometimes persuade your clients to move in the direction that you think they should. So, as as I mentioned in the intro, you you seem to throw yourself into a lot of things in addition to just the demands of being a business owner. What's what's the difference in the world you want to make? You know, with the business and because you're involved in so many charitable things, even personally, like what's the what's the mark you want to make or the change you're interested in? Look, on a very broad scale, I hope that I enrich people's lives, whether I do it through making a space that is beautiful for them to work in or for them to live in, whether it's working with Archive Global and making a difference through that organization or simply with my family and, and my circle of friends and so on, kind of bringing, you know, joy and and stuff to them. So and- may sound like a silly question, but why, why does that matter to you? And I ask this, I, I've had a couple of conversations recently. A, a friend of mine has a colleague who's like, frankly, doesn't give a rat's behind about making other people's lives better. Like he just, <laughs> you know, just doesn't. He's got his own little circle and he cares about those people. Everybody else be down. So like for you, why, why does this matter for you? And what are the values that kind of inform that desire? I think that, um, there is, there is a self-motivation in there. I mean, there's a selfishness in it, which I think is simply to feel a sense of influence and a sense of making a difference and making change. And that to me is fulfilling, I guess, to your friend or to this person you were speaking to, it didn't, but, um, but yeah, you know, to me, that feels good to feel like I've done something and had an impact on the world. I hope that when I leave the world, it will be a better place a little bit because of me. I don't, I'm not, I'm not changing the world in a massive way, but I hope that on a small scale, I can make some small improvements and make some people's lives better. So. Well, see, you know, frankly, that's the whole purpose of this podcast. I think if if enough people make their little corner of the world better, then ultimately the world is made better. Yes, right? I, I hope so too. That and that is definitely agrees with my philosophy. So. And do you see do you see any compromise between that and profitability? And how does the need for profitability serve as either a catalyst or constraint on that desire to to do good? You know, uh, I would say a couple things. First of all, we're very lucky because we have been profitable for many years now. And obviously, we took a dip during COVID, but despite that, we we ended up really doing okay, even in 2020. Um, and we seem to get busier and busier. So it hasn't been so much of a struggle for us. Um, but I do think that there sometimes is a tension between sort of profitability and doing good. Um, but I think that when you do good, it comes full circle and comes back to you too. Mm-hmm. And so for example, we are working with a restaurant in New York City, for people who don't know in New York, there was a big change and they allowed seating outdoors in these sort of enclosures. And so a group of architects got together and said, okay, we're going to volunteer to design these spaces for these restaurants that are struggling because 
to people who live in New York, restaurants are an essential part of life, right? Like part of the reason I live there is because I like going out to eat and there's an amazing diversity of food. And so we've worked pro bono with a restaurant in New York to help them construct these sheds or whatever you want to call them. And that's been a really great experience. And we've gotten actually good feedback from that and been able to share that and brought us other jobs. So even though we did a job for, for totally for free, it's come back in, in spades. So. Nice. Yeah. I often find with a lot of clients I work with that ultimately that values driven approach to doing business leads to greater profitability. You tend to attract better employees. You tend to attract better customers and you know, the work becomes of a, of a nature that you are actually able to be more profitable. Exactly. No, I a hundred percent agree. Yes. Now, if I understood right, you have some very exciting project coming up. What is America by design? Ah, uh, yes, that, that's coming eventually. Yes. What's, what's that about? And where can um, people find out about it? Uh, I can't say too much about it right now, but, oh, okay. um, but, but it's coming up in the fall, I think September, October, I'm not sure quite when. So, okay. Um, well, the podcast will probably be out in September, October. So maybe you can drop us a note and I'll say something about it. You can add that in. <laughs> okay. Terrific. Mm-hmm. Found it exciting. Now, one of the things uh, I'm trying to do with this podcast is help others see that they can make a difference with their business, you know, by sure. sharing stories like yours, people who've walked that path and are doing well. Um, and one of the objections though, that you sometimes get, like I've, I've been fortunate, I've had some pretty interesting and pretty successful people, uh, on the podcast so far, but one of the potential downsides of that is people will kind of go, well, look at them. They're, they're they're rock stars. Like they've been at it. They're successful. They're obviously smart and professional and da, 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 where they've got money to play with or whatever. Um, you know, or they may look at you and go, wow, look at, you know, the smart she's got, she's a Fulbright scholar and Guggenheim fellow and must be easy for her. You know, now I've, I've been around long enough to know that, you know, brains aren't enough to on its own to drive success. So I'm wondering if you can share a couple of things. Like when you started your own business, what were your biggest fears about doing that? And then what's been your biggest, to the extent you're comfortable talking about it, like your biggest setback or failure? What did you sure. do to overcome it? I mean, I think the biggest fear was when I hired the first person and felt responsible for someone else and felt mm-hmm. like I had to make payroll every week. And And I mean, I've hired a couple of people in the last few months because we have been really busy. Every time I take on another person, I feel like a little lump in my throat because I feel like, oh my gosh, there's another person I'm responsible to make sure I get their paycheck out. And there have certainly have been times when I didn't take a salary so that I can make payroll and so on. So, um, you know, there are challenges for every business owner and anybody who makes it look easy is great, but there are always hard days and there's no question about it. Um, I don't know what I would say is the biggest challenge that we faced, maybe just COVID. Really, there was a time in 2020, April, when I thought I might not have a business anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that point, we just, I, I got the team together. We said we were going to reduce everyone's hours by 10% to try to save a little salary. And everyone agreed to that so that we didn't have to lay anybody off. Um, And we just, we said, okay, what are we going to do to be ready when the market comes back, when people start to come back? And we looked at our website and we redid that and we put together, you know, advertising and marketing collaterals. And we tried to use the time as productively as we could. We did a hypothetical project for something, you know, and 
And it's actually paid off because we've used all of the materials that we cobbled together during that period. But there were definitely days there where I felt like I was just a cheerleader. I had these people who are at home on, on a Zoom platform that they weren't accustomed to using and they didn't know what to do. And they were a little downtrodden, honestly. I mean, not that I wasn't also, but I felt like I had to just be like, Hey, we're, we're going to get through this. We're going to go, we're going to, we're going to all be okay. And, and we have been, you know, and so it's just, just pushing through those tough times. Uh, Good for you. You know, and and I, it's interesting. I always find a, a fascinating distinction between the entrepreneurial set and sort of the corporate mindset. And Mm -hmm. I find consistently that, and I I don't think people who understand, who know entrepreneurs well enough really understand this. And I don't think, I don't think employees of entrepreneurs understand this well enough, the extent to which you care authentically about the people. And when COVID hit, I can tell you the number of clients I had that that was their number one fear. Like what happens to my people? How are they going to, you know, and the self-sacrifice I saw across the board to ensure that people, and it had nothing to do with just keeping the business afloat. They wanted to keep the business afloat so that they could keep their people afloat. Exactly. Exactly. It's just such a beautiful value that I see really common across entrepreneurship that I don't think is talked about enough. And I don't think, I don't think employees understand that well enough, how much people bleed for, for the lives of the people they're responsible for. It's definitely true. And I think, you know, there's a reason that I always say like, it's my team because I feel like we really are on a team together. Like we kind of have a common purpose and it isn't just a bunch of people who work for me. So, you know, it shows up by the fact that people cooperated with the 10% reduction. If they thought you were an exploitative boss, they probably wouldn't want to agree to that, but because they know you care about them, then everybody's going to be in safe hands and is willing to play together. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So we had to make that sacrifice, but yeah. And what are you, what are you struggling with right now? Like what's the biggest obstacle to what's next or what is next? Um, It sounds kind of crazy, but just being in different markets, I think has been, you know, we were very focused on the Northeast and now we're starting to get farther afield. So we're doing a little bit of work in Miami and we're doing something in Pennsylvania and we're working in Boston and, and I would love to set my sights farther west or on the other side of the Atlantic or something, even, you know, in a couple of years and just figuring out how to integrate that and have kind of boots on the ground everywhere has been a big challenge for us. So, I mean, we're excited about it and we're making it happen, but it definitely is something that I'm up at night thinking, how are are we getting this done? Is it going to be okay? So... So how do you keep yourself on track with that? Like for most entrepreneurs, they always struggle with some version of whack-a-mole, right? There's the stuff you want to do. And then there's the stuff that comes up that you can't predict. And there's team competition, suppliers, blah, blah, blah. How do you keep yourself on track and focused? Well, you know, somebody asked me recently, how do you do your project management? And I said, the truth is that most nights I wake up at about three in the morning and I write a list. (laughs) Those are the things that are like really on the top of my mind. And then usually I can go back to sleep most nights. And so honestly, it's a little um, unorthodox, but (laughs) that's my kind of whack-a-mole. Like those are the things that I get up and I start with in the morning. Um, and some of them are big things. Like some of them are like, we really need to get this design together and have a vision for this. But sometimes they're like, but you didn't pay, you know, these bills or whatever, you have to do some more administrative thing. And it's, 
it's those things. And they literally, they bubble up for me at around three in the morning. So, right. you know, I check email then too. So if you ever want to reach me at three in the morning, I'm around. <laughs> and do you, do you do any sort of strategic planning for the business? Like you talked about some big goals. So do you do, do you have any kind of planning discipline or planning regularity? We do. I'm, I would say that quarterly, we really try to look at where we are, kind of where we've been in the past quarter and where we want to go in the next two or three quarters. Um, And we use that as an opportunity to assess and plan and kind of set our sights on things. Right. And in terms of maintaining the culture, do you do anything specific to maintain this culture of fun and attracting the right people? You know, one that's committed both to the difference you want to make and to serving customers profitably. Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is simply getting to know people. Obviously, um, you know, we're sort of half in person in our office now. When we were in person, we would go to various events together, whether it was um, a, a fair for furniture or materials or something architecturally based. I chaired the Architectural League Ball maybe three years ago now, but we brought the whole team to that. Um you know, so doing things together physically was really great. Once we were remote, we did do like a cocktail uh, Zoom and some things like that. Um, we played some games on Zoom. I, I don't know. I, I feel like those things on Zoom were not as successful, but maybe right. maybe that's just my Zoom skills. I don't know. So <laughs> I, I like it much better in person. So you've you've been around a while and you've had some both struggles and successes and things like that for other entrepreneurs who you know want to follow that path of trying to make sure their values are integrated into their business do you have any you know words last words of wisdom about how they can how they can accomplish that yeah i think the important thing is just stay true to who you are because if you are authentic you're going to bring clients to you and so you know, do what, what matters to you and what makes a difference, like what gets you excited and people will feel that energy and then they'll want to work with you. And I really think there's truth in that kind of basic, just being yourself and being authentic and, you know, sharing that with others will bring people to you. It's amazing how frequently that term authenticity comes up Mm -hmm. in terms of running a successful business. Yeah. So where can people find you and what do you, is there anything you want them to know about what you offer or how they can reach you or. Yeah, you can definitely look at our website, which is riseprojects.com or Instagram, which is rise projects NYC, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, we are a full service architecture and design firm and we would love to help anybody regardless of how big or how small their project is. So, you know, we feel like we can always add value. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks very much. I mean, this has been a fascinating, I just love how much you are trying to put good into the world uh, through your professional foundation. And it's, it's, I think it's a good example of it. It almost doesn't matter what discipline you're in, there are always opportunities to find ways to add value. And I love how you're doing value both at the client level, at the social level, and just within your own team. There's a there's a consistency and a congruency through that that I think is a good model for others. Thank you. Well it's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate the opportunity to share and thanks again. So if you want to anyone who wants to find go to if you want to talk to Karen, go to riseprojects.com. And thank you very much. We'll see you next time on the Business That Matters Spotlight.
Hi, it's Warren Coughlin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Business That Matters Spotlight. If you're a successful, values-driven entrepreneur who makes a difference while making a profit and you'd like to be on this program, please visit warrencoughlin.com slash podcast slash apply. That's warren, C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N dot com slash podcast slash apply. If you got something out of this interview, would you do us a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag business that matters spotlight. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, warrencoglin.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, facebook.com slash a business that matters, and Instagram at warren.coglin. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.